Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 Calgary West. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire your walk with God. For more information about our church and community, check out myc3church.ca. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. My goodness, it's exhausting just hearing that. You may be seated. (laughs) Someone starts uh, articulating all the things you've done. You're ready for a nap. You feel like you've run run a marathon. When he said he could go on, it was quite true. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for having uh, my beautiful wife, Michelle, and I here with you in uh, C3 Calgary. And I just want to take a moment just to actually, in their absence, thank your pastors, Pastor Lorne and Kelly Tebbett, who are just the most beautiful, authentic, kind-hearted, generous people I've ever met. And I'm not just saying that. I get to meet a lot of people. I get to travel a lot, and uh, certainly within the movement. But I just want you to know just how blessed you guys are. Now, it sounds a bit like a cliche, but we can become really familiar with our surroundings. It's, it's too easy to take things for granted, you know. But I want you to know that what you've got is not common. It's very rare. And they are the most beautiful. Your, your pastor, your senior minister, Pastor Lorne, has got the Father's heart. And we don't have enough fathers in the body of Christ. But you, you have a father who's overseeing this church. And the blessing and the covering is a gift from God. You've got to stay in that covering, stay under that covenant, and things will continue to work out because God loves us when we're faithful to His house and to the leaders that He puts over us. Yeah? Amen. Wasn't it wonderful to have be led in such great worship this morning? What a wonder. Give your worship team a big hand. So nice to meet Phoenix, hear a lot about him. Friends of mine back in Sydney have, uh, you know, know a lot about him, but to actually meet you in the flesh, my man, and to, uh, to hear you lead worship and to see you lead this team. I want to congratulate you because you're doing a brilliant job. And you're just a terrific young man who's carrying an enormous weight, but you're doing it with tremendous poise and skill. Jumps on the drums, he gets on the acoustic, he gets up and preaches, he casts vision. I'm thinking, is there anything this guy can't do? <laughs> Evidently not. Um, you know, I, um, I, we have uh, three terrific teenagers 18, 16, and, and 14. And we Skyped them yesterday. I thought I'd show a photo because it's always nice to actually um, just throw a photo up of your family, not to show off or anything, but there they are, Madison in the middle. She's a delightful girl. She is um, very artistic, creative, loves to make movies. Michaela to the left, loves to surf and swim, but unfortunately is in always a lot of pain because she pushes herself too hard in the pool. And to the far right, that's Lachlan. And there are three uh, gifts from God. They're the most beautiful kids in the world. We Skype them. And the first thing Madison said to me was, Dad, are you wearing a Nirvana t-shirt? <laughs> I'm like, big deal. Thanks. Thanks for showing that. And we just, we just love our kids. They have, they have grown up in the house of God. From this high in nappies, all they ever saw was mum serving in church and dad playing the guitar. And I, I, I've said this in other churches, but I want to honor my beautiful wife this morning because in those years that we were forging forwards and building this worship team under Pastor Phil and Chris Pringle, in the very early hours of the morning, these kids had to get up because we only had one car. Now, I can't complain because your winters are way more uh, punishing than the Australian winters. But, um, you know, very early in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, we'd have to wake these kids up straight into the car to drop dad to sound check for those two early morning services. And so they're just as much a part of the call of God and building the house of God as we were. I want you to give our kids a hand, even though they're not here. You know, it's, it's an absolute thrill to be able to share this morning. I, I actually brought a CD. This is my latest CD. I know CDs are old school. I've made a vow never to print again, but this is my last album, and I brought some copies. And um, I don't know if we can spin 
spin this disc, guys. I don't know if we've got it on Spotify. No, that's fine. Uh, look, if you, this is a, an album that I made. I made three records when I finished up as the music director. For 20 years, I'd been um, building the house of God and building worship teams, but very, felt very much from the Lord to actually have a, what I would call a parallel creativity. It's very important for us to build the house of God with our gifts, but at the same time to be creative right, in our private life as part of our worship to God. And so I ended up making some records that are uh, contemplative, reflective, and peaceful because I don't think there's enough of that in the body of Christ. Have you ever suffered from worship fatigue? Thank you. There's more words in some worship songs than there are in a thesaurus. Uh, but I thought, we need to, I need to make some records that are, that are peaceful, that are calm, that have no words, that are mostly instrumental, because we're moving at a breakneck speed. Are you, are you giving me the thumbs up? Is that what you're doing? Can you, would you mind very much just playing track eight on this album, Circles? I would sit in the studio with my producer and we would just sit and say nothing until we sensed the presence of God turn up and we'd, we would wait on God and we wouldn't hit record until we felt like we had a green light from the Holy Spirit because it's easy to rush art. It's easy to rush creativity. It's easy to rush God. But, but uh, really, God's not in a rush, I've found. And so this is one of the tracks just to give you an idea. And certainly a great thing to give away to other people who aren't saved, who are yet to experience the presence of God. Opportunity to gift it to somebody and not even really have to share the gospel, but allow them to feel the presence of God. You know, Saul, out of all people in the Bible, probably suffered with mental health issues the most. And the greatest philosophers and counselors and psychotherapists of the time couldn't solve his problems, but when they called David in, and he began to play, it was the frequencies of what he was playing and the symbiosis between that and creation that was the only thing that gave him relief. So if you've got friends that, are, that just really can't get the relief that they need and they're, and they're honestly dying to experience God's presence, you, don't, you can't explain God, you have to experience Him. Amen. Thanks, guys. So they're out there as well. Um, you, you, it was Matt, wasn't it? Yes, I remembered. Woo! <laughs> He's just a wonderful, handsome guy. Uh, and, and did you say naughty, naughty, by the way, when you're up on stage before about blocking emails? That was cool. I'm going to say that back home. Naughty, naughty to the college <laughs> students. I'm taking that home with me. I like the sound of that. Um, yes, he, he was right in what he said, that for 20 years we were involved in worship. But then at the end of my 30s, just before I turned 40, I found that there was no more concrete left to pour or lantana to cut or energy to give because the measure of God's supply that had led me to that point uh, suddenly lifted. It ran out. And I was sharing in the creative gathering, in the worship gathering this weekend, that very often when the narrative changes and our dialogue with ourselves and with God and with others change, we can think that we've done something wrong. But really, it's just that the season came to an end. We, we panic sometimes in, in the body of Christ when things change because we get so comfortable, so accustomed to that security blanket like we're still in kindergarten that then things change and it's through no fault of our own. It's just that maybe it's a sign not that we've done something wrong but really that we've done something right. And so I sensed that that grace for it was lifting and God gave us a year of respite. We didn't actually stop working or go on any long-term vacation but we did just continue to pastor and run connect groups for our age bracket, the 30s to 40s, because that midlife can be a strange time for that age because they tend to have what's called a midlife church crisis, believe it or not. 
where they have to transition through beginnings and endings well. So we were pastoring a lot of people and doing a bit of preaching. And then within 12 months, I was asked to head up the creative faculty of the college at Oxford Falls. And, and um, it's a terrific college. There's lots of people all around the world. Wonderful. Steve and Brittany Fly, the graduates from that college. Stand up, guys. Just want to honor you. Beautiful people. A power couple, I might say. Came out of the college. And I used to um, have the best times with Steve and Fly in private guitar lessons, which were more like coffee breaks, weren't they, mate? It was like we had the best time. You can learn the blues scale as much as you want, but when you start talking about the things of God, um, that's a, it's, it's really where discipleship takes place. I wonder if you wouldn't mind if we just show this promotional video of the college just so you can see a little bit of the vision about what we do. It's one minute long. Wonderful. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so we have a lot of international students come and do one, two, or threes in that college, and they either leave with a certificate for diploma or advanced diploma in ministry, either leadership, theology, or creative ministry. And I'm heading up the creative faculty. If you know of anybody that may be interested in doing short-term master classes, three days, where they can actually focus in and learn about the principles of worship leading and creative ministry across a short burst, because maybe they can't come and study for a long period of time, or maybe you know somebody who would actually love to go and study in, a, in an environment which has sent so many people out into the C3 global community, which are building churches across the world. There's, there's going to be information out in the foyer at the end of the service, or you can certainly come and speak to Michelle and I. Okay, you ready for the word? Here we go. We're talking about living worship today. Thank you so much, Becca. Give Becca a big hand. Salt of the earth, voice like an angel. We're talking about living worship. Worship. It's very easy to come along and just tick all the boxes, right? Um, when, and how long have I got, Flighty? Is it Stephen? I just want to make sure I don't, I don't get overindulgent. Is because the, the clock hasn't started. It's not, it's not counting down. I'm really scared. You know, <laughs> like it's like time stood still. I've got to raise the dead or something. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, sir. Um, talk about living worship. It's very easy to come and tick boxes. Very easy to come and be in a situation where you're raising your hands, you're singing the songs. And I don't know if you've had this experience. I certainly have had this experience in my life where I was convinced I was worshipping God. But then all of a sudden, there's a seismic shift in a meeting. And, and I don't know what goes on, but it, maybe it's an internal relocation or something. Or then God turns up and he says, actually, no, now you're worshipping. Now you're worshipping. You can think that you're in a place where you're worshipping God and you're convinced, you know. But you don't realize that it's all become too familiar, all too comfortable. And after 20 years of writing worship songs and sitting in the studio with other creatives and playing at conferences, it's easy to get into uh, a rhythm uh, where, you know, you're just kicking tires now. You're treading water, you're marching time, you're going through the motions. We actually need to have a firm foundation and understanding and have a theology of worship that goes beyond just singing songs. Because... You know, we're in a day and age now where to actually just hear the podcast or to spin the, the music in the car or on your iPod headphones and to think I've just had a great worship experience and then you're convinced you've done your bit, you've ticked that box, you've connected with God, right? I've found after 20 years that that's only a very small part of worship. We were talking about the tithe this morning. You're never more of a worshiper than when you bring your tithe and that's a whole nother message in itself. This particular scripture I'm going to share in Romans chapter 12. This is out of the message. And I think this is a fantastic scripture. And there's so much in it that there's two things I really want to pull out of it this morning. Paul says here in Romans 12 verses 1 to 2. Let's see if it's up here and we'll read along. Are we going to look at it on the screen? He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you 
take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Everybody say offering. offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Next verse. Don't become uh, so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Paul's talking about two things. Two main keys in this is making lifestyle choices that support a life of worship. Because worship is lifestyle, let's be honest. And resisting a worldly culture that competes for our worship. What is the worldly culture around us? I don't know if you realize this or not, but we are in a modern day Babylon. And I'm not an end times preacher or anything like that. But when you read the word long enough, after a while you start to see how much of our present day circumstances are hidden in the word. And you start to see how now it's being played out very much in our life today. The Babylon in the Old Testament symbolizes worldliness and the oppressor against which the righteous must struggle. And see, Israel was sacked by the Babylonian Empire in 600 BC, because we hear about it in, in the book of Daniel, obviously we know that. And Daniel, the Jewish noble, was taken captive. Now, I think it's fascinating that the meaning of Daniel's name is God is my judge. Now, I don't know if you've ever really studied the meaning of your name, but I've done it so many times with, with my friends, my family, people in church, that it's really undeniable the power of one's name. When I consider the meaning of my name, have you got any Ryans in the room? Hands up if your name is Ryan. No, just me. Good, I'm on my own. Well, it turns out that Ryan means little king. <laughs> little king. So, and that would make perfect sense because, you know, I don't know if you've seen Trek. Have you seen Trek with Lord Farquhar? The little short one there? <laughs> if I had to, if there was a, sort of a, a meme that had to be created, I'm sure that it'd be my face next to him. Uh, Thelonious, I'm sitting, you know. <laughs> Daniel's name means God is my judge and he's remembered for receiving apocalyptic visions and interpreting dreams. Would have been an enticing place. When I think about what Babylon would have been like, the amazing architecture, the land of opportunity, you know, beautiful people, money, education, intellect, wealth. But that this culture sought to eliminate his distinctives as a God follower. And it wanted to absorb him into his worldly values and its own culture. But the thing about this culture is that Daniel had to exist in a foreign culture. Because everything, everything that was celebrated in Babylon and taught in Babylon was banned in Israel. Suddenly he found himself having to exist in a place where he had to immerse himself in that culture but yet differentiate himself. I want you to write down the word differentiation. Big word barely spell it myself, but differentiation is such an important word for us as believers because we're, we're not great at um, being in the world but not of the world. This is not like a, a sort of a fire and brimstone message or a critical message or a negative message or a corrective message, but we need to differentiate ourselves like all of the people that managed to survive in a worldly culture that pushed back on their lives. I mean, we saw Moses do it, we saw Joshua do it, we saw David do it, Solomon do it, we saw Daniel do it, and even Jesus. And all of them smashed something, like if you consider David, for example, smashed the Mosaic law, and he brought in clapping, dancing, singing, songwriting, and changed the whole future 
of the creative worship in Israel. Changed it forever. He differentiated himself. He took out Goliath. He didn't understand. He said, why doesn't somebody kill this guy? I'll do it. You know what differentiation is for us? It's staying connected to people, yet not allowing our behaviors or our responses to be determined by them. Staying connected to people, yet not allowing our behaviors or our responses to be determined by And that's what Daniel did in Babylon. He didn't cave. He had to exist in this foreign culture. And it's a picture of the modern day fight for those of us who follow Jesus. Because the world pressures us to own certain things, to live a certain life, and behave a certain way in order to be accepted. Everybody say accepted. But living worship resists the temptation to conform to these worldly patterns. Living worship that goes beyond the song. So what does a worldly pattern look like? I wrote down a list of about 10 or 20 worldly patterns that I see on a regular basis in the world around us, in the people across our path, in our own lives. And I narrowed it down and I condensed it to the top three that I think are the most pertinent. Now, please, hopefully this will resonate with you. Because I'm, I'm thinking that this is, surely this is the human condition, not just Australians. But listen to this. A classic worldly pattern would have us overworked, violating our personal boundaries and capacity, crashing, then finally taking vacations that aren't all they're cracked up to be. Do you know what I'm saying? Our worldly culture's got us, you work, 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 take a vacation. That is not a lifestyle of worship. I'll get to that in a minute. Here's another classic worldly pattern. It would have us living lives that we were never meant to live by comparing ourselves and our lives to the lives of others, which goes against God's plan for us. That social media is a little sucker. It really is. It's killing us. We've been lied to all these years. Here's the third one. A classic worldly pattern would have us feeling the need to own things. I love this. That we don't want to own or need to own in order to feel better about ourselves. There's a little term down under called affluenza. You know the definition of it is? Spending money you don't have on things you don't need to impress people you don't even like. Making lifestyle choices that support a, a lifestyle of worship. What is a lifestyle of worship? Well, living worship honors the rhythms of the Christian calendar rather than the culture around us. We can be so immersed into a worldly culture that projects and transfers onto us all of these things that come camouflaged, that try to convince us that this way is better, this is what you've got to do in order to be happy, I mean, the real question all of us should be asking is not, am I happy, but am I free? Because freedom eclipses happiness. <laughs> okay. The rhythms of the Christian calendar, what are they? Well, here's the first one. Daily prayer. Surprise, surprise. Daily prayer. Now, most of us go, when we hear that we're going to have a prayer meeting, everyone's like on the inside. <sighs> Do you know what daily prayer is? It's having a slowed down spirituality. That's all it is having a slowed down spirituality it's where we actually take care of the inner life and we slow down for jesus on the inside now there are types of prayer where you can come into a prayer meeting and there's a corporate prayer meeting going on where you are praying in tongues and you are in agreement and you are crying out for things that you believe in god for but your one-on-one -on -one life out of the overflow intimacy and loving union with jesus is all about slowing down your interior world for him that's what daily prayer is. So that we're living life out of the overflow and we're not restless, hurried, tense, frantic, reactive, triggered and overworked. A monastic tradition is called the daily office where the desert fathers would stop 
to remember God throughout the day. Quiet intervals. They would stop and for 15 minutes contemplate and reflect and think about God. You can be working for God and doing for God, but are you paying attention to God? A daily office. My chiropractor got my phone many years ago and he set it to go off every 30 minutes because he knew how tense I was. He was sick of cracking my neck. And, um, and, he, and he said it. And so my phone would go off for a season. Every 30 minutes it would, it would chime and the message would be, are you in perfect peace right now? And very often we're not because we have, uh, we're over-functioning and we take on a responsibility and bear a burden that God never asked us or charged us with the ownership of carrying. So these quiet intervals throughout the course of the day give us the opportunity to stop and ask ourselves the questions, have I taken on a responsibility? Is the government suddenly on my shoulders? No, the government's on his shoulders. Here's another rhythm of the Christian calendar that we need to honour, Sabbath delight. You know what Sabbath delight is? It's taking one day off for a 24-hour period every seven days where you unapologetically do the things that light you up and bring you consolation. Look out. Hands up if you struggle to put yourself at the top of the list without feeling guilty. Hands up. Let's be honest. God knows if we're lying. Now, um, <laughs> do you know, that's, that's just a part of the human condition. But do you know, God actually wants us and delights in us doing the things that bring us consolation, not desolation. Obligation will bring death. Intentionality will bring life. And so when one 24-hour period, every seven days, we stop. And what are the things that I love doing? Is it sitting in a cafe? Is it reading a book? Is it watching Netflix? Is it playing the guitar? Is it learning an instrument? Is it going for a walk? Is it hanging with friends? Is it sleeping in till after lunch? Whoop-de-doo. Whatever it is, he says, do that. Do the things that light you up and don't apologize for your unique genetic wiring, your personality, your loves, your likes. To feel is to be human. We've got to stop making apologies for it. And the other one is sabbaticals, which is really extended rest, where we renew and we reinvent every seven to ten years. And these things we can't forsake because they are the ancient landmarks. They are the rhythms of the Christian calendar that we've been wired to honour in our lives. Because we're not called to live off someone else's spirituality. And too many people are. You can't give something that you don't possess. And many of us think we're possessing Christ, but we're not. Because we're not slowing down and giving him sufficient time to speak into our lives. To, so that our lives are being lived out of that overflow that is Jesus. It's so that we function well and enjoy this ongoing fulfillment. Living worship is a lifestyle that honors God's ways. Everybody say God's ways. Okay, so I'm going to trim this down and I'm going to give you three big keys about God's ways. Here's the first one. Intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. I've been going to prayer meetings for 25 years in our church and it always amazed me why in a church of three to 5,000 people at different times across that two and a half decade period, why in prayer meetings, whether they're at night, middle of the day or in the morning, sometimes we'd only see 10 or 12 people turn up. Now, I don't know if that's in most churches around the world, but it certainly confused me as to why people would turn up. And then I saw it happen year after year, season after season, time and time and time and time again. And I'd think, well, if prayer is so great, and that's the only thing that Jesus taught his disciples. Why are Christians not turning up to pray? Because we all have to live our lives, right? Now, I don't know. This is just a working idea. But I've thought about it enough now that I'm pretty convinced. I think I've got an idea. And I actually happen to think it's got to do with issues of intimacy. 
whether we're saved or not saved, whether we're living in a sacred or a secular environment and lifestyle, part of the human condition is that we have issues of intimacy. We struggle to open up our heart and get vulnerable with those that are close to us. What's stopping us? Do you know, these are some common things that go through our mind that are part of the human condition. Jesus, heal me, but don't get too close. It's when we want the healing, but maybe not the vulnerability that it requires. Jesus, bless me, but let's do it my way. <laughs> it's when we want the blessing of God, as long as we get to do the thinking ourselves. Jesus, save me, but don't speak to me about things that require me to change. It's when we want our lives to change, but as long as we stay the same. See, I've found that everybody wants their lives to change, but nobody wants to change their lives. A true and solid self before God is the one who makes the vulnerable connection with God. The vulnerable connection. Why was Daniel so favored in an environment that was hostile to God? Why did Jesus wake up early and find a solitary place to pray to the Father? Why did Mary choose the better thing while Martha was so tense, frantic, and restless? If you look at the life of, of Mary and Martha, and that scripture has been thrown around for years, and there's been many ministers that have preached about it. Do you know the, the, the essence of that moment where Martha was, was doing for God, but Mary chose the better thing? Both of them were serving God. Both of them were loving God. But the problem was, is that Martha was missing Jesus. She was doing for God, but it was greater than her being with God could sustain. We create a whole lot of God activity in our lives as Christians in the hopes that we'll get to our destination faster. It never works. Being busy doesn't get you to your destination any quicker because God is not in a rush. And the only way to survive the 21st century while the world is moving at a breakneck speed that we are never going to be able to stop, it's going to take a, a huge God intervention for it to slow down. But I will say this, we have to keep up on the outside, but on the inside, we should be walking three miles an hour with Jesus. We need to slow down on the inside. And sometimes our doing for God, or very often, is greater than our being with God can sustain. And, and Martha was, was working for Jesus, but she was missing Jesus. Mary chose the better thing because she knew that as she waited at the feet of Jesus and was intimate with Jesus, he would start to work and he would start to speak. Living worship is a life lived out of this overflow. We discover an ease about the things that were once a struggle and a fight. Number two is staying free from the love of idols. Staying free from the love of idols. It took me a long time to realize what an idol was because when you grow up and you read about this sort of stuff you think that it's a, a tangible physical material thing like a surfboard become, can become an idol or a car can become an idol or a guitar can become an idol but really an idol is a substitute for God or the things that become more important to us than God fear can become an idol pride can become an idol things that we actually end up worshipping with a greater intensity and love than we have for God. Idolatry is when we go after these things with greater passion. Living worship has its competitors, which attempts to make us act independently from God. Do you know the wilderness, and I've always loved this moment for Christ. He comes up out of the water, the dove lands on his shoulder, and there's this public endorsement from his father in heaven. He says, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, haven't you noticed that the Holy Spirit is a flirt? He'll, he'll, uh, you know, land on your shoulder, right? The air will be cracking. You'll feel like you could break through brick walls, walk on water and raise the dead. And 24 hours later, he leads you out the back of the desert and starves you for 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is a flirt. And his flirtatious ways can never be, uh, you know, mastered. We can never master the Holy Spirit. 
But the wilderness for Jesus was a competition for his worship, but more importantly, his identity. And we, we, our identity is constantly under threat. If you don't win the first hour of the day, you don't win the day. And when you draw near to God in that first hour of the day, and I'm not suggesting for a second that getting up early, and I said this on the worship night, is a religious practice. You've got to get up early. You've got to tick that box because it's religion. No, 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 no. You get up early while it's still dark before the spiritual activity hits the earth, you win the day. There's no static. There's no traffic. There's no distractions. You hear from God. It's on the quiet that he speaks. In the wilderness, this was a competition for an identity. And it's the great temptations towards a false self. The picture of Jesus in the wilderness is the story of us all. It's the story of us all. What was it for Jesus? It was performance. That's the first temptation towards a false self that he encountered. Turn these stones into bread, which really what the devil's saying is you are what you do. You are defined what you do. Perform. And sometimes we feel this burden to perform, to seek the attention of men. The moment we start to feel a burden to perform and not to work and live and create and breathe and activate and live our lives from a place of rest, we've moved too far away from Jesus. We are now embracing idols in our lives. The second one is popularity. The devil said, throw yourself off the highest point. In other words, he's saying, Jesus, you're others what people think you are. What others think about you, right, is the truth. But it was a lie. Throw yourself off the, off the building. Popularity. Sometimes we feel like we've got to measure up to the status quo. And this status and popularity, that's a killer. We've got to learn to go it alone. The last one was possessions. Bow down and worship me. In other words, the devil is saying, you are what you have. You are what you possess. These are the great temptations towards a false self. And idolatry always starts with, wait for it, growing dissatisfied with the level of spirituality that God gives us. If you consider Proverbs 3 and you read about Solomon, he comes full circle after falling away from Yahweh. And he pens Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Song of Songs. And really, he says, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on what you think you know. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. Yeah? Solomon had grown dissatisfied with the level of spirituality God gave him. And when that happens, it's dangerous because then we think we need more than what we've been given. But he knows what we need. He knows the game we were drafted for. Simplifying these things cause us to reevaluate our lives and our priorities. I'm going to read a little excerpt here from a book called Affluenza. And this is from an Australian author called Clive Hamilton. This book is really about making the connection from having an abundance to poor mental and emotional health and suffering or unnecessary suffering. And this is an epidemic that goes on down under in Australia, Australia and New Zealand. Have a listen to what he writes in this book. Our houses are bigger than ever, but our families are smaller. Our kids go out to the best schools we can afford, but we hardly see them. We've got more money to spend, yet we're further in debt than ever before. The Western world's in the grip of a consumption binge that is unique in human history. We aspire to the lifestyles of the rich and famous at the cost of family, friends, and personal fulfillment. Rates of stress, depression, and obesity are up, as well as the wrestle with the emptiness and endless disappointments of the consumer life. Our whole society is addicted to overconsumption in the growing mountains of stuff we throw out, the drugs we take to self-medicate, and the real meaning of choice. That's the, 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 the worldly culture that is oppressing us that we must resist if we're to live a life of living worship. 
if we're to honor the rhythms of the Christian calendar. And we're unaware of how attached we get to these things until God removes them altogether. And really, in the end, the story of Job is all of us. We leave everything behind. I wonder if the band could come up and join me just for this last point. Philippians 3, probably one of my most favorite scriptures. I'm sure it's many of yours as well. Flanked by Philippians 2 and 4. Surprise, surprise. Philippians 2, he's talking about imitating Christ's humility and how Jesus didn't take advantage of the fact that he was the son of God, but really he humbled himself. He grounded himself. He earthed himself. And then over in Philippians 4, right, Paul's talking about anxiety and fear as a, subs- a substitute for prayer and of thinking right. But right in the middle of those two passages is Philippians 3. And he makes this profound statement, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. And we sometimes can imagine Paul off in the desert, hiding in a cave with a candle, with nothing, right? Living a, a life of unnecessary suffering. But you know what he's saying? He's not saying that at all. Paul was one of the most successful businessmen, very sharp guy, very powerful guy, planting churches all across the empire, planting one of the biggest churches in Corinth, which would have been like New York in, in, in its time. But he says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. In other words, I need to lose my unhealthy attachment to things. God wants me to richly enjoy these things, but I need to be detached. I found in Christ that you first have to lose everything God does that so you can handle the blessing He's got for you. And the last one is becoming more like God over time, otherwise known as transformation. God has made us all unique and different, but His desire for us is all the same. We might have a unique blueprint, but the outcome is the same, and that's that we cooperate with the process of being changed into His image over a lifetime. And over the timeline of our life, He perfects it. We're on a journey to brokenness, perfect love trials and storms are okay because we end up thanking God from we are made as worshippers on the road to brokenness I wonder if we could just close our eyes this morning and I don't know if you're somebody who is uh, either visiting church this morning or perhaps you you have been away from the Lord and, you, and you're actually sitting in church you haven't been here for a while whatever situation you find yourself in this morning if you need to make that connection with Jesus again, draw near to Him again, live that life of worship again because it's drifted. I just want you to lift your hand this morning. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you down the front. I don't want to, thank you, I can see that hand. Anybody else this morning? Thank you, I can see that hand. Anybody here? Okay. I wonder if we can all say this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've called me to live a life of worship to not conform to the pattern of this world, but to follow you, to honor you, to honor the life of worship. I pray you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit right now. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. Let's all stand this morning and just reach out our hands to God. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.